Good evening. It's good to see you tonight. We're glad that you're here. It's always a joy to be together, and we're thankful to God who has blessed us yet again. Let me ask you a question. Do you know the song we sang just before the last one? The last one was Give Me the Bible. You know the one we sang right before that? Do you remember it? Anybody? What was it? Oh, so you do know. <laughs> it was when we all get to heaven. But I want you to listen to that phrase and ask yourself, is that how I live? When we all get to heaven. What does that mean? The song doesn't say if we all get to heaven. It says when we all get to heaven. Now, you and I didn't sing that to go through the motions, I'm sure. You do mean it's not if. It's when we all get to heaven. Amen, Eric. I'll just say it myself. <laughs> you have your Bibles tonight. Turn to the book of Ephesians, chapter 6. We'll begin there. I don't think this will be a series of thoughts, at least not on this subject, but it will sound like one. I don't mean for it to be. I don't think it will. I say that with a hedge that maybe it will. But we're going to talk about parents tonight, some tips for parents. We want to do some practical things. The Bible is, is obviously instructive, but it's also practical. We learn it, then we live it. And so tonight we want to talk and uh, turn our attention to parents and take some things out of the Scripture and offer some tips to those who are in the process of this wonderful, wonderful job called parenting. It is a tremendous blessing filled with some challenges, and God has blessed us to be able to uh, overcome anything that we are confronted with. Marriage and parenting, two of the most wonderful things, and yet sometimes the challenging things that we can do with our lives, and often uh, we find ourselves in the midst of both of them trying to make the most of it. And we want to give some tips to that end tonight. We began here in Ephesians chapter 6 because the Bible addresses the subject. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with the promise that it may be well with thee, and you may live long upon the earth. Fathers, parents, fathers, that's who he's talking about. Do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the—King James says, nurture and admonition. Other renderings might say discipline and instruction of the Lord. That word nurture there, to give you some idea of what's going on in the process of parenting, the word means education and training up to nurture of the children, tutorage. One author wrote this. It is the whole training and education of children which relates to the cultivation of mind and morals and employs for this purpose now commands and admonitions, now reproof and punishment. It also includes the training and care of the body. That is the whole thing and the whole means of the individual in bringing them up. The word admonition, well, it means warning, an admonition, a mild rebuke, and calling to attention. And as we do both of those things, marriage and parenting, the Bible has much to say about both of those. And I say these things tonight because our world and some in the church sees it as a losing proposition. The world is so bad, I would not want to bring children into the world. Sometimes people say things like that. The world is so bad, I'm so glad I'm not in the process of parenting right now. The world is so bad, I don't know how you're going to make it. I know exactly how those who are parenting are going to make it. They take God's Word, 
They do what it says in their own lives, they teach it to their children, and then they overcome the world. That's exactly how they do it, and that's going to be true until the Lord returns, no matter what the world does. What are some of those things? Number one, these are in no particular order, but we'll just talk about them. Number one, if you're married and you're parenting children, do this. Number one, preserve the marriage. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 24, with regards to marriage, the Bible says, For this reason shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife and join to her, and they shall be one flesh. Well, what do you mean by maintain or preserve the marriage? Well, I mean just that. The marriage, done correctly, comes before the children. But sometimes the children are, uh, are so much in focus that the people who are married lose sight of the marriage for the parenting of the children. And I'm going to urge you this evening to maintain and preserve the marriage. That is going to be ultimately important to the children. Children are inheritance from the Lord. They are a blessing and absolutely in every way they are. But for some people, because they had children, their marriage suffered. Because when they had a problem with each other, instead of resolving that, instead of going to Scripture, instead of preserving the marriage, they simply gave up on the marriage and turned their children, attention to the children. And they began to pour all of their energy into the children. And so they, on the one hand, may have become great parents and bad spouses. Don't do that. Don't do that. No, preserve the marriage and use it to parent the children. Brings us to number two, maintain your unity. It's how that gets done. In Mark chapter 3, verses 22 to 26, Jesus talked about a house being divided. Now, contextually, he's accused of casting out demons by the power of Beelzebub, the prince of the demons, to which our Lord says, obviously, that's foolishness. And then he says, in verse 22, where that accusation is made, he called them to himself and began speaking to them in parables. How can Satan cast out Satan? And if a kingdom be divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. That's going to be true of all relationships. A house divided against itself cannot stand. When people get married, they're unified. They stand up in public. They say to all who are in attendance, we are one. We are two people, and we're going to be one. We're going to leave this place unified. In fact, sometimes they put out candles. They start with three, they extinguish two, and they light one. Why? Indicating we are one. And then they have children. And again, sometimes that's what happens. In their minds, the children become more important than the marriage, and the children become so all-encompassing that they lose their unity. To that end, make a plan together as to how we will parent. It's amazing, really, when sometimes when people sit down into marital counseling or premarital counseling, they have considered so many things, and yet they've considered or not considered so many things. Usually by the time they are sitting down for premarital counseling, they've considered the venue for where we're going to get married. They've considered the date for when we're going to get married. They've considered the colors and the decorations. They've considered the menu. They've considered the guest list. And then you sit down and you begin to talk. Are you going to have children? Well, yeah, we're going to get around to that. Well, when are you going to do that? I don't know. We don't have any definitive plans yet. 
How are you going to rear them, parent them? What's the plan? Well, we haven't really thought. Listen, this is more important than the guest list. This is more important than the colors. This is more important than who will sit next to whom. This is more important than the bridesmaids and the group. This is exceedingly important. You need a plan here. How are we going to do that? What ends up happening sometimes is they get married, and then they realize, oh, y'all did it differently than we did it at our house. Well, what are we going to do now? I don't know, but you're not doing that to my child. <laughs> That's not going to happen. What happened to our unity? We didn't have a plan. We need a plan that says we're going to do this in our parenting. We're not going to do that in our parenting. We will give this to our children. We will not allow ours. Whatever it is, you need a plan. It doesn't need to be anybody else's plan, but it needs to be yours because we need to be unified because the house divided against itself. Cannot stand. Number three, if you have your Bibles, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, that great chapter on the subject of marriage and relationships and the present suffering and distress and Paul's great counsel in all of those areas, answering the questions that they had written unto him. Sometimes people lose sight of these verses that are in our New Testament, and they're right here in this chapter. It's 1 Corinthians 7, verse 33 and verse 34, and this brings us to point number three, and that is remember to please each other. Verse 33, the Bible says, but the one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. And his interests are divided. The woman who is unmarried and the virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and spirit. But the one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. Please don't forget that. Why did we ever get married? To please each other. We were going to do things that brought the other one joy. We were going to do things that was for the benefit of the other person. We gave our word, in fact, that we would do that no matter what happened in life or to us. We would do that whether we were rich or poor. We would do that whether we were sick or well. We would do that no matter what. We will please each other. And then we get married. Well, now we get to practice it, but then life happens, and challenges happen, and things happen, and deadlines happen, and sometimes we do things that don't please each other. What do we do now? Don't go back on your word. There are things listed in the Bible that God hates, and there are things listed that God loves, and God is very clear about them. The lists are not always exhaustive, but they're important. And back in Psalm 15, there is such a list made, and there are some things there said about the individual who will please the Lord. And among the things is, is an individual who ultimately keeps his word. Psalm 15, beginning in verse number one, the psalmist asks a question, O Lord, who may abide in your tent, or who may dwell on your holy hill? One person has noted with regards to that first verse that what's being asked is, who will abide in the temporal things of God, that is maybe the tabernacle or the temple, who will abide in the temporal and then the holy hill representing the eternal? In other words, who will please you now and who will please you eternally? That's maybe one person said that's the idea. Whatever the case, verse 2 answers the question. It is the one who walks with integrity and who works righteousness and speaks truth in his heart. 
He does not slander with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend, and whose eyes even a reprobate is despised, but he who honors those who fear the Lord. Note the end of verse number four, and this is the point. He who swears to his own hurt and does not change. I don't know of a single person who ever gets married and says in their vows, I will do these things as long as they do them. I don't know anybody who puts caveats in the vows and conditions. Everybody stands up and takes the vows just absolute. Doesn't matter what happens in life. I'm going to please this person. In sickness and health, in, 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 in riches and poor, it, it doesn't matter. I'm going to please this person. And then we go back on our word. You know, our children will not go to a corner and not observe that. They will not grow up and, and, and not be able to see that. They will hear it in what we say. They will see it in what we do. And that will teach them about marriage. And one day, they'll get married. And what will they use as their model for how this relationship works? Please each other. It's what the Bible says, and it's what we all said we would do. Number four, keep a proper perspective. What do you mean by that? Look in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, the wise Solomon gave us some counsel about life in general. And it's certainly true. In fact, it's always going to be true. He's not wrong. But sometimes, again, people can overblow things, and they can make marriage seem like, I don't know what you're going to do now. Y'all have children, and have you seen the Yeah, we've seen the world. The world is what the world is, and the world does what the world does. And God's never caught off guard. Solomon says here in Ecclesiastes chapter, eight, chapter 1, rather, in verse number 8, he says, all things are wearisome. Man is not able to tell it. The eyes not satisfied with seeing, nor the ears filled with hearing. That which has been is that which will be. And that which has been done is that which will be done. So there is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one might say, see this, it is new. It already has existed for ages which were before us. What are you saying, Eric? What's the point? Your children are going to be fine. Your children are going to be fine in this world in which they are being reared if you keep loving them and caring for each other and following after the Lord. They will be fine. People have been having children since Genesis chapter 4 and verse number 1. And for all of that time, those individuals who follow the Lord, they've made it, and their children have made it. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 13 says these all died in faith. They're not the only ones who died in faith. A lot of their children died in faith. It's not just Noah and his wife. It's Noah, his three sons, and their three wives who enter into the ark. How did Noah do that in a world where every imagination of the awesome man's heart was only evil continually? How in the world did he save his family? Noah walked with God, and he was a righteous man. He taught his children to do the same. You know what? They were righteous too. No, keep the proper perspective. Don't let people tell you you are on a quest that can never be achieved, and I don't know how in the world you're going to make it. You're going to be fine. Seven billion people have come. Seven billion people are on the planet or thereabouts, give or take. And you know what? We just keep having children, and we keep doing it. And you know what? Keep, people keep being righteous. And here you sit on a Sunday evening, sitting down, worshiping the Lord. Where are your children? Many of you, they're sitting right here in the same. But you know what y'all are doing? Succeeding. 
Don't let the world tell you, and don't let some in the church tell you, you're not going to make it. I don't know what the— you're going to be fine. Keep the right perspective. God's way works despite the darkness of the world. You'll want to remember 1 John 4 and verse number 4, where the Bible says, Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Please understand, God is greater than the world. God's greater than Satan. God's greater than anything in the world. And if you walk with God, your children can do the same. Number next, I don't know, I think it's five by now. View your children correctly. Look back in Deuteronomy chapter 6, if you will, verses 6 through 10, and appreciate what your job is. View it correctly. Keep a balanced, right perspective, and then view your children correctly. I've actually heard people suggest, well, we're having so much trouble, I think we'll have children. Wrong answer. <laughs> if you think you're having trouble now, I'm not saying children are trouble. I'm just saying that that's a new level of challenge to an already troubled marriage. You don't need that. Children are not marriage savers. You need to view your children correctly. On the other hand, children are not marriage destroyers. They are a great blessing, but it is challenging, and it's difficult, and it's hard. All of those things are true. It can be an adjustment to your life. It should be. What would one expect for it to be? It shouldn't have to be a burden, but it's hard. Children didn't ask to come here. Very likely, you prayed to God for them, and if you have been blessed with them, then you have an answered prayer. That's what you have. So what are they? They're human beings. They're little human beings made in the image of God. What should you do with them then? Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse number 6 says, These words which I'm commanding you shall be in your heart, and then you teach them diligently to your children. What are these little people? Little people. That's what they, just little people. They're not dress-up dolls. They're not little, little friends and playmates. They're little human beings. But you know what they are? They're eternal souls housed in a little body. That's what they are. And as a result of that, they're helpless. Little people who depend on you to teach them God. They need your love, help, knowledge, Example, mercy, grace, goodness, kindness, patience, all the things you need from God, they need from you. And God says to Moses, okay then, teach it to them. Make sure you teach it. Model it before them and then put it into their hearts. That's what God does to us. And so, talk to your children Try not to yell at them, and don't bully them. Somebody say, well, Eric, you don't tell me. I, I, every now and again, you got to yell. Okay, I don't mean you'll never uh, maybe uh, have bits of in, uh, situations where your voice raises. I'm not telling you that that's wrong or anything like that. I'm saying don't make that the rule of communication. Don't bully them. Don't throw guilt trips on them. And don't use God as a weapon against them. Instead, you should be ready and willing to repeat yourself a lot to them. Some parents want to take shortcuts. They want to say it one time and be done. If you've read your Bible, one of the things you've read is God said it again and again and again and again 
Why does he keep saying it again? Because children need to hear it again and again and again and again. Be patient and be long-suffering because God is with us. There's a great passage in the New Testament. It says so much and so little. One verse. It's Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32. And it's packed with so much information. Apply it to parenting. Apply it to marriage. Apply it to any relationship. And here's what Paul says. Number one, be kind one to another. Be kind to your children. Be kind. Be kind one to another. And then he said, tenderhearted. Be tender with your children. Have you heard the sad stories that sometimes grown men tell? Yeah, my father never hugged me. My father never told me he loved me. I know he did. Grown men say this. I know he did, but he never said it. No, he never took time to be tender with me. But I know it was in there. But I'm going to be that way with my son. Good. Be kind. Be tenderhearted one to another. And then Paul says, forgiving one another. Just as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. That's what your children need. Number next, if you have your Bibles, look over at 2 Peter chapter 1. What should you do? Some tips for parenting. The next one is grow your faith. 2 Peter chapter 1, another thing that can get lost in marriage and in parenting is your own faith. You can be so consumed with the task at hand. I have to go to work. I have to do this. I have to do that. We have to get them involved in these things, and we got all of these schedules, and we got to do this, and we got to do that, and we do have to go down to the building. I got to be there for worship, and I got to do that. And after a while, a whole stretch of time can go through your life where you haven't grown your own faith, where you and God have not drawn closer together through a more mature faith because you haven't had time but it's demanded. And if you want to be a better husband, a better wife, a better parent, if that's the goal, then you will want to grow spiritually. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 5, Peter says, now for this very reason also applying all diligence. In fact, Peter says, move this up to the place of importance on the list of all of those things you have to do. Supplying all diligence in your faith, supply or add moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and if your self-control perseveres, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. Can any of that help you as a parent and as a spouse? Not only can it help you, it will absolutely bless you and everybody involved in the process if you will add these things to your faith. Peter tells us later in this book, chapter 3 and verse 18, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Who is he saying that to? Christians. Christians who are what? Married and Christians who are parents. What are we to do? Grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. 2 Timothy 2.15, Paul would say, make it again, give all diligence to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, handling aright the word of truth. And so in Philippians 2 and verse 5, he would say, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Show me a, a sister who is faithful to God, has the mind of Christ. Show me a brother faithful to God, has the mind of Christ. I'll show you two good parents. 
I'll show you two people who will be a good parents to that child or those children. Why? Because their mind is centered on Christ, because that's how they're going to behave toward each other and toward the child. They're going to be kind. They're going to be tenderhearted. They're going to be forgiving. Why? Because growing in grace and knowledge, I know that's how God is to me, and I want to be like God. It'll bless our homes. It'll bless them. What do you need to do? Examine yourself. Every now and again, take a step back. Take a step back and examine yourself and see if you're growing closer to God. Paul says we should all do that. Examine yourselves to see. Examine yourself. Take some time out and do a personal investigation of the nature and state of my faith and my relationship toward God. Apart from my spouse, apart from my children, me and God, I need to examine myself to see if I'm in the faith. I need to know whether or not Christ is in me, except I be reprobate. I need to know that. You need to know that. Shine your light. You know the first place one's light should shine is in their homes. Matthew 5, 13 to 16, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. That starts in home and then projects out to the world. Every individual Christian should be light and salt at home first. Grow your own faith. Number next, prepare for change. Psalm 37 and verse 25, David says again in a very short and, and pithy way, he, he says a great deal about life and the process of life, and how we change and go through life. In Psalm 37 and verse 25, David simply says, I have been young and now I am old. Well, that's it. I have been young and now I am old. We meet David when he's young. Don't know how old when he was the little shepherd boy, young adult shepherd boy more likely. And then we watch him grow and now He's old, an old man. And we don't have to guess. We get to see David's married life, his parenting of his children. We get to see it. And what's David saying? Life is filled with changes. What should I do? Prepare for them. Don't wait for them and then react to them. Prepare for them. And you can just see the, the, the evolution of life as you work your way through from young to old. You can see it. When you get married, you don't have any children. Likely two young people standing before the preacher and the whole audience is full, everybody wishing them well. Not a whole lot of life experiences before them, but everything ahead of them. And they stand there ready to take on the world. As long as we're together, we can do it hold hands, and they leave the building, I now pronounce to you, and they are off and running. That's one part of life. And then somebody, hopefully not pressure from family, but the two of them sit down and they say, let's have a baby. Great. You know what life will do as soon as you have a baby? It will change. Those two young people ready to take on the world, the two is now three. One for one and all for one. The three amigos are now, but it's different now. You got the baby? No, I thought you had the baby. No parents ever left the baby? I thought you, no, I just, we got a third person here to be concerned about. That's different. We can't stay up like we used to. We can't go like we used to. We can't do what we used to. Life's different now. It's changed. And if you add another child, yet again, you thought you were busy with one. Try two. 
and it changes again. And then the baby starts growing. Life changes. Holding a baby in one's stomach and carrying the baby around internally is different than having the baby externally. And moving from external, from diapers to walking, to walking, to talking, to ultimately teenage years, that's different. That's different. Those are changes of life. And then you start seeing those little people, not so little, last time you saw you start saying stuff like this. When I saw you last, you were, and now, look at you now. That's changing. And we start asking that young teenager now, what grade are you in? I'm going to be a senior this year. You know what's happening at home when that young person is now a senior going off to college? Life changes. And now there are two people in that home with no children. We've affectionately called it the empty nest. It's very different. Those two young people that took on the world have gone through the seasons and changes of life, and now that child is left, and now they stand back with each other, and no child around. That's different. Oh, you don't want to wait for these changes. You want to prepare for each one of these transitions. There's a good little book called Who Moved My Cheese? <laughs> Some people's cheese get moved, and they were never prepared for it. Some people learned each other, and then they forgot each other, and then they look back up, and we're the only two in the house. Another sermon for another day, but I tell you, sometimes why people struggle in the empty nest. This might just be it. You have to prepare. I've been young, and now I'm old. And if you keep living, you'll be old. Your children are young now, and if they keep living, one day they'll be old and we'll be gone. You'll want to prepare for the changes of life. Next, get on their level when you interact with them. One of the things that's very important in parenting is to make sure that the authority of the parent is, is understood, but typically it's understood from the beginning, but it, it does occasionally need to be communicated in some way. But for the most part, it already exists. The child understands very quickly, we're not the same height. The child understands very quickly, we're not the same in voice and in tone and in tenor. In fact, to the child, the parent looks like God. The parent appears to be infinite to the child. The parent appears to be all-powerful to the child. The child watches his father, watches his mother, looks like they can do anything and everything. When it comes to knowledge, it looks like they know everything. When it comes to finding out what they did wrong, it looks like they've seen everything. Look at them. They look like they've never been young. You've been old your whole life. You must be eternal. Sometimes our interactions with them, the parent can lose sight of that. When talking to children and parents talk from a very powerful and authoritative position, and to a child it can be terrifying and exceedingly intimidating. Thus that yelling we referenced earlier can sound like the voice on the mountain. Same happens to us sometimes when we read the Bible. You hear people read the Old Testament and they get fearful of God. They, they misunderstand his nature, and so in reading it, they think, wow, he's all-powerful. Well, he is. He, he did create the world. He did correct and judge. That's absolutely true. The flood did come. 
And you can go on through the Bible, and the law is for certain and for real, and it is very clearly enunciated, thou shalt not, or there's penalty and consequences. In fact, the people's reaction to that was, we don't even want him to keep talking to us because we're going to die. Moses, you go get the law. When Moses is spoken of in Hebrews chapter 12 with reference to that, Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. Amazing thing God did. He didn't just stay in heaven and talk down to us. He came down to us and got on our level. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In verse 14 of John 1, the Bible says, and the Word was made flesh. He got on our level. God came down and tabernacled among us. He became one of us. Parents need to remember you were once a child. Parent needs to remember you once were in that position. Now, how then would you have liked to have been treated in such a position? Sometimes parents are angry, not at the child, but it's expressed to the child. Let me offer you very quickly then some do's and don'ts relative to these things. Some mistakes to avoid, some things to do, and then the sermon will be yours. Somebody told me I had 10 more minutes this morning because I went quick. I don't know. Did they tell you all that too? No. Don't make these mistakes. <clears throat> Number one, sometimes people say, I'm going to give my child a better life than I had. I'm going to make sure they don't do the, have the thing. I'm going to give them a better life. Now, let me very quickly say there's nothing wrong with that, and it's not bad inherently. But most every time I've heard the phrase like that, it's been always said with reference to the physical. And so I didn't get a lot of toys. I'm going to make sure I give my children a lot of toys. I didn't wear the latest cool clothes, so I'm going to make sure my children have the latest and the coolest toys, the clothes. I, I didn't have the newest shoes and electronics, etc. I'm going to make sure my children does not have to go to school without the way I went without. I'm going to give them everything I didn't have. I think that would be a mistake. No, what you should give them and make sure, make sure the spiritual is not neglected. Give your child the blessing of knowing God. That's what Eunice and Lois gave Timothy. Paul said in 2 Timothy 3.15, and that from a child thou hast known the holy commandments, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation. Where did Timothy get that? 2 Timothy 1.5. The unfeigned faith that was first in your mother Lewis, Lois and your grandmother Eunice, the, the, the faith that was in them, they gave you. No, if you want to buy your children things, buy your children things. But listen, give them this first. Make sure that's what they get from you. Sometimes people say, I'm not going to be hard on my child the way they were hard on me. Now again, not a bad concept, I suppose. It just depends on what do you mean by that. What do you mean by I'm not going to be hard on my children? If by hard you mean I'm not going to abuse my child, then please don't be hard. If by hard you mean I'm not going to be unreasonable to my child, then good, don't be hard. If by hard you mean I'm not going to be overbearing to my child, good. If by hard you mean I'm going to listen to my child, I'm going to allow my child to express their concerns, got it, don't be hard. But if by hard you mean I'm not going to correct my child, then that would be a mistake. If by hard you mean I'm not going to limit my child, then that would be a mistake. 
If by hard you mean I'm not going to say no to my child, then that would be a mistake. If by hard you mean I'm not going to direct them, have them participate in things, hold them accountable for fair play, to doing good, to following through on things, to keeping their word, to picking up after themselves, to helping around the house, then if that's what you mean by hard, then that would be a mistake. Don't do that. Because if that's hard, by all means, be hard on your child. Luke 2.51, the Bible says, our Lord subjected himself to his parents. There was subjection in the relationship between Joseph and Mary and Jesus as a child, and he was okay with that. No, if by hard you mean those other things, well then please don't be hard. Someone has said, push them a little when they're young, or you will be pulling them a lot when they're old. They need direction, guidance, and instruction, and you need to give it to them. Sometimes people say, I'm not going to spank my baby. Now again, I would ask, what do you mean by that? If you mean I'm not going to spank my child in anger, then good, please don't spank your child in anger. If you mean I'm not going to spank my child without mercy, well then please don't do that. Don't spank your child without mercy. If you mean I'm not going to spank my child for minor infractions and insignificant things, good, please don't do that. But if you mean I'm not going to spank my child, nor will I allow my spouse to spank my child under any circumstances. And friends, that would be a mistake. You know, at some point it could be warranted. At some point it could be appropriate. It could be done. And to not do so would be a mistake primarily because God said you should. In Proverbs chapter 19 and verse number 18, the Bible says, a discipline your son while there is hope, and do not desire his death. What are you saying, God? Discipline while there's hope. Proverbs 22 and verse number 15, there the Bible says, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of discipline will move it far from him. Proverbs 23 and verse number 14, you shall strike him with the rod and rescue his whole soul from Sheol. That may not be the picture you and I have in mind of somebody being flogged. The point is, he's being corrected. What's happening, though, in the correction? You're saving his soul. You're rescuing his soul. Proverbs chapter 29 and verse number 15, again, God's position on the subject is the rod and reproof give wisdom but a child who gets his own way brings shame to his mother. God says it's an act of love. Done correctly, it is. God says it's for the benefit of the child. Done correctly, it is. God says it benefits you. Done correctly, it is. Can you do it incorrectly? Absolutely. And if you do, then it's better off not to do it incorrectly. But if you're doing it biblically, then you would do well to do what God says. Sometimes people say things like, well, I'm not going to spank my children ever under any circumstances, okay? How will you correct them? How will you discipline them? Here's what I have found. Those same people find themselves getting angry at their child. Those same people find themselves screaming at their child. Those same people find themselves threatening their child, jerking, snatching, sometimes even shaking their children, isolating them, putting them in timeout, demonstrating inconsistency because sometimes they do, sometimes they don't, but they're not going to spank them. No. Like most times when we don't obey God, you're going to do far worse. 
Spanking is not the first action. It's the last. And so by all means, speak first. Teach, model, talk, explain. And if ultimately necessary, spank appropriately. But to take the position, we're never going to do that. Or you'd just be disagreeing with God. Instead, do these things. Discipline yourself. Resist the urge to give them everything you can. Sometimes people grow up in poverty, and then they progress in life, and then they're able to prosper. And in their mind, they think, I'm going to give my child everything I didn't have. I'm going to make sure that they don't suffer. I'm going to make sure that I—and they're going to get anything and everything they want. Why? Because I can. There's a sad reality that one will learn. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. Someone has written, and I think it's a good statement, he said, if you give a pig and a boy everything they want, you'll have a very good pig and a very bad boy. Teach them to be part of the family. That's what they are. They're members of the family. Teach them that they belong, that they're needed, and expected to contribute and share in the family. The family needs you. The family wants you and wants you to participate and do your part and help out and be a part of us. That's the expectation. Teach them to care for others. Do that. God cares. Teach them to care. Parents care. Teach them to care. Teach them self-care and self-love and to care and love their siblings. And by way of rapid fire, let me just say this. Give them love without conditions. Forgiveness without limits, grace which never ends. Teach them the law of sowing and reaping. Truth is objective and knowable and absolute. Teach them that eternity awaits and heaven is the goal and the home of our soul. And God expects us and wants us and Jesus is the way to go to heaven. Teach them that. Marriage and parenting, what a blessing. There are those right now in this congregation in the very midst of this wonderful work. And it's challenging, and it's hard, and there are things that make it so. But you're doing a great job. And if you keep God first, and if you prioritize God, and if you grow your faith, and if you keep loving each other, and if you keep modeling each other, modeling Christ, then you will win one day your children. If they don't move away and go and start their own family somewhere else because of work or otherwise, chances are good one day you'll look down a row and see your family, and they'll be doing what you did. And the light of God will keep shining, and Christ will keep being glorified. And this wonderful blessing from God will keep blessing the world. Now to Christian tonight. We didn't talk specifically about the gospel, but we talked about the God who gave the gospel. He's given us so many other wonderful blessings. God reveals himself to us and to the world as a father and as a spouse, and then he lets us participate in both relationships. The blessing is ours, and it's because of his love and because of those relationships that God sent Jesus to die for your sins and for mine, and God would love nothing more than if necessary for you to come home to him to be a part of his family. Believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Change your heart and repent. 
Confess the name of Jesus and be immersed in water for the forgiveness of sins. And God, through Jesus, will save you. Here, Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 15 refer to the church, God's people, as the whole family of God in heaven and earth is named. Friends, come be a part of God's family and be blessed by the greatest father that's ever been. If you are his child and you've lived in a way that's not pleasing to him, then friends, make things right. And praise God that you can. You know, if you've not been or want to be, the, haven't been the parent you want to be, you know you could start that tonight. One of the great things about God is when he forgives, it's right now, and you can improve right now. You can pivot, turn, change, apply his word, and your home can be better starting this very night. We can help you in any way. We invite you to come as we stand and as we sing.